0: The house, let me your let me see let me Hello, and welcome to All We Hear Is Purple, the third or fourth most mediocre husky football podcast on the entire internet. I am Andrew Berg, and joining me tonight. She enjoys covering a football team that's good rather than one that's bad. But we're here nonetheless. It's Gaby Lucas. Gaby, how are you getting on?
1: Hi. <laughs> I think that's a true sentence you've said about me. So carry on.
0: <laughs> it's been a rough couple of weeks. We didn't talk to you last week after the Montana debacle. Uh, in some ways, uh, losing to Michigan as badly as we did was less bad than losing to Montana in a close game. In some ways, it was worse. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the Michigan game. I, you know, we don't have to go through every snap of the game. The offense was bad in its design and its execution. The defense was reminiscent of some of the really bad performances uh, against the peak Harbaugh-Stanford teams when UW was at a much lower level. Just from the game overall, what what's going to stick with you? Like, what are there plays or are there strategies? or hey, What from this game will you remember when you look back on it? in a few years.
1: I think the fact that we could win like if you watched uh, our offense and you know our defense and our run defense is a whole other topic but like offensively we totally could have been in that game and you saw it when we decided to not play like morons um, that, you know, I mean, we might have still lost, but at least it could have been a good game if we didn't just keep on like, being like, ooh, better better hit the A-gap. Like, um, A-gap's and, getting so, lonesome over there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's been a couple of minutes since I told the a- A-gap that, that I love them. Uh, phrasing, boom. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so uh, I think that's what's most frustrating to me is like, it could have been an entertaining game that was close or a win if you just like played to the personnel instead of just trying to run into a brick wall every second. Um, that's what's most frustrating to me.
0: Yeah, I think that makes sense. You know, if if it's hard not to just repeat the Richard Newton getting hit in the backfield and kind of like lunging forward for a one and a half yard or less gain as the the thing that's imprinted on my brain from both of the last two weeks. There were a few slightly better things, like when the offense was forced to be a little bit more liberalized. Morris looked better. like He dealt with pressure better this week. He threw behind fewer receivers. There were a couple missed throws, but for the most part, he didn't seem like the problem with the offense. Uh, the yeah. blocking was still very poor. Uh, K-Dotten is still awesome. Uh, we saw flashes of having receivers and what that looks like. It didn't look hopeless offensively, I'm curious about uh, on the defensive side, you're talking about getting gashed in the running game. How much of that was inevitable and it was just going to happen over the course of the game in your mind versus something that just kind of grew out of the circumstances where uh, Michigan wanted to, you know, wear us down. They built up a lead and then it was just kind of like downhill from there.
1: Well, I think once you have an offense that refuses to, Put pressure on their defense and refuses to put up points. Like, it's just like, I mean, then that was inevitable because if you're Michigan and you can, and we can't score, then like there's no urgency for your offense. And when there's no urgency for your offense, you can just keep gashing, you know, on the ground. So I think that it, it is ironic that like if you want to play ball control, defense or you want an offense that complement that is like a ball control game, which a, I don't That's that's stupid. There's no reason to do that in 2021. Like you can't win, um, with modern in, mo- in modern college football playing that, but also the irony of like, even if, even if you're doing that, well, then you're forcing, you're giving the opposing offense in this case, Michigan, like free reign to do exactly what you don't want them to do if you're UW's defense. So I think from an off, ironically, from our offense's dictation, it was inevitable, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I I think that did play into it, the fact that, our defense was going to have to spend a disproportionate amount of time on the field. I, I, we're going to talk more on kind of state of the program questions a little bit later, but I think that's probably going to focus a little bit more on offense than defense. I do kind of want to think about, there's some element of this that's by design. We play, uh, you know, some version of a base nickel defense, really like a two, four front most of the time, although there were three uh, real linemen in a lot of the time in the second half against Michigan, it seems as we're looking back on this over the last couple of years where there's been this habit of just getting pounded in the run game, just what one play after another, we just could not get off the field defensively. Uh, it It felt abnormal that we've played so many teams that were willing and able to run the ball with larger personnel over and over. And part of the philosophy between having this stretched out defense is there are more spread offenses and air raid offenses in college these days. Is that an outdated thought? Like, does this assumption need to be uh, updated is, you know, for the 2020s uh, that maybe more teams are moving away from spreading it out with four receivers on the field all the time and, and trying to throw the ball 65% of the time, or is this, have we just kind of had a bad luck run of running into like Oregon state, Utah, Stanford, Michigan in a short period of time, who all philosophically line up with a thing that's in the minority that we don't like to go against.
1: Uh, I don't think it's a, I don't think people are going away from more aired out offenses. I mean, even if you, I mean, when, when Nick Saban says, yeah, you need to be able to throw it and you need to be able to create explosive plays and you need to be able to create passing concepts where you can make your offense thrive. Then when he says that, then you know that, okay, we have moved to that shift in college football. Um but I do think that kind of back to what I uh, like was saying earlier like if you don't give opposing offenses a need to do that if they can just win by jamming it down your throats and you're not going to score enough to put pressure on them then then like they don't have any they don't have any reason to. So then they can just keep doing that and then if they happen to score and and not, you know our defense happens to not be able to ever get them off the field then why should they stop, you know? So I think any offense, even, even if they are a more spread out offense, if they don't, you know, if it just comes back to not creating any need for them to be urgent with our offense. Like, I think the idea that defenses and the defensive and offensive platoons for one team thinking of them separately, I think is, is not very helpful. And so I think our offense just by not creating a sense of urgency for opposing offenses to match up with them puts our defense in a bad position because then they can just keep being like, all right, well, we're, we are just going to get a pound of them. But no, I think if you look at offenses just across the board, yeah, they are evolving to be much more explosive and taking spread concepts and then tweaking them and evolving them. So I, 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 I don't, I, I think they're just, they know it's easy to see what you have to do do against you defensively and when the offense our offense doesn't put any pressure on them then like okay great (laughs) that's a freebie yeah
0: yeah Yeah, I I think that's fair uh it's hard to look at one totally separate from the other and and obviously some of those problems with the defensive line are not even we've seen the same problems on the offensive line yeah not being able to deal with uh the sustained blitzes overloaded blitzes going back two three four years as well What do you do about that? Like, is this a a personnel issue? Is this a scheme issue? I I think something that looked a little different to me in this game was uh, Jackson Kirkland just getting whipped a few times by Hutchinson, who is a very good defensive end. I mean, that's like, you're going to get beat sometimes. Uh, That wasn't just like missed assignments. He just was getting beat. Yeah. But there were plenty of other times when Michigan, you know, brought two linebackers off the same side. And it seemed like we didn't know who we were supposed to be blocking. And it was especially clear in the run game where, you know, I think Dylan Morris did an okay job of kind of stepping away, getting himself a little bit of time to throw. But whenever we tried to run the ball, partially because they knew what was coming, partially because we just weren't blocking, it was just swallowed up immediately. There was no room at all. Like, Is that just the, the linemen we have need to play better? Or is there, are we doing something uh, tactically that that's putting us at a disadvantage?
1: I mean, I, I think the predictability of it makes it, makes it, exacerbates any issues uh you know that the lineman might have by themselves but i also am starting to get skeptical of um of scott huff i you know i'm not i am a, i'm a really patient person when it comes to i know fire so-and-so whatever you know i know people i know i know in any fan base you have that range of people who there's one bad game and people say fire everyone and then there's people who were saying no give ty willingham one more year um i'm i'm kind of in the middle but i'm I, i i don't know i don't i i'm starting to get think that we've maybe seen what we have out of huff and he's such a good He's he's one of our only really good recruiters, and so it's so hard to say that. And I'm, you know, I could be convinced either way to not to retain him or not. But we've seen for a couple years of having that upgrade in in talent on the offensive line from what we were seeing in like 2016, 2017, etc. Um, under Chris Peterson, um, that was like guys that Chris Strauser had brought in who granted was not a good recruiter was quite bad but when you see the disparity between talent and performance his was less so than scott huff and i think it is oh shit that was my cat stepping on my microphone um that stays in (laughs) yeah please keep that in um and uh, so I think, I mean, you need, it's kind of an example of you really need both. Like you need good recruiting and you need good development on top of that recruiting. You can't have one or the other because we saw under Chris Strausser that you had guys who kind of had maxed out with their talent levels. And so you could only expect so much from the offensive line. And now you're just seeing all these guys that when you put them all together as a unit, you're still not getting what you should be getting out of them. From a like a macro talent level standpoint, Um, and so that is that's kind of I mean besides of course the predictability of like calling and blah blah blah, um, that's kind of what I'm starting to hone in on.
0: Has there been what was the last time UW's offensive line was really good? I'm trying to think back.
1: I was a child.
0: Yeah, it's it's been a very (laughs) long time. I think there might be an argument. I I could kind of picture this was probably around 2011 or 12. Uh, it was a game in Pullman in the snow and Chris Polk ran the same power play like nine times in a row and just marched down the field. It's hard for me to think that I I don't generally think of those teams as having great offensive lines and Wazoo Mm -hmm. was quite bad then. But, you know, maybe that was the last really good offensive line. But yeah, I I think I generally think of it, I I know this is oversimplistic, but I think of it as kind of like recruiting plus development equals performance Uh, i don't think that's
1: simplistic i think that's a good formula (laughs) yeah
0: i I, I mean there's more that goes into both sides of those things like you can be wrong about recruit ratings or whatever and like
1: yeah but that's a micro level yeah
0: but but like just in general that's kind of how i would evaluate a coach and you know clemson's coaches recruit extremely well and develop extremely well so they have outstanding performance and and Huff and Strasser, as you were just describing are kind of opposites, Mm -hmm. uh, like being really strong in recruiting or really strong in, uh, development. But I would say that Huff's output, the performance has actually been worse. You know, like the, the development is lagging so far behind uh, what we had before that, even though we were getting relatively poor prospects, uh, the performance was ultimately better, which is really disheartening. Um, and, and, like when we talk about, we're going to talk a little bit about coaching structure and everything later, but that's kind of the thing that stands out other than the play calling as like that is the thing I would like to see change most get the performance of the offensive line matching the talent.
1: Yeah. Hey, I,
0: I, yeah, uh, there were a few things that I, I think are worth touching on that aren't doom and gloom. Like there are a few things, and maybe it's silly to point that out, but I, I mentioned a little bit ago that Kate Otten looked absolutely phenomenal against a very good defense. There were uh, signs of Terrell Bynum coming back, you know, from injury and, and looking solid. And it seems like Taj Davis has become a, a viable starting receiver uh, forced into action, but looks pretty good. You know, it was, there were, there were signs of life on this team and, and hopefully so a few things we can build on um, once we get some of the very basic things straightened out. But let's, let's talk a little bit about the state of the program. You know, we've got, just putting it very generally, two losses to start the season went about as badly as they could possibly go. Uh, now we're hoping to pull it together, and, and the optimistic people are saying, like, we could still get to seven or eight wins. We could still compete for uh, the Pac-12 North title. That's probably a stretch, even at, in, in that, you know, seeing what we've seen so far it would be a dramatic reversal. It would have been viewed as a catastrophe before the year to say we're going to finish with seven wins. And now two games in, we're saying that might be a little bit optimistic. That means that our expectations have already been lowered. Like our, our, our understanding of what the program is capable of has already been devalued, at least to some extent. So how do you get back from that? Like we're, we're – we're, we have – there has been a level of decline. We're not – we may be in decline. We've already declined to some extent. What do you do about that? Like where we sit right now, what do you do now, what do you do at the end of the year, what do you do over the next – couple years to, to reverse that
1: I mean I don't really have a good answer for that except for I think I think about for most programs uh, you know for programs west of the Mississippi River unless you're USC Texas Oklahoma that's pretty much it the the damage that you do by sliding to what could theoretically happen this year plus um, the amount of resources it takes to climb out of that is so much. And you already have momentum going away from the West coast that, I mean, I, in two games, personally, myself, I have, I haven't given less of a shit about UW football in the over the course of what eight days, I I ha- I haven't given this this few shits in a very very long time just from eight days of just existence, and I think about and I'm somebody who generally does and I like I write about this for beer money you know but like that I I invest a lot of mental energy into this there's a lot of people who also do and invest money and whatever but when you think about like the average like fan in Washington or just in general like we have a good fan base but if you're going to do this what it will take to bring enthusiasm back like that goes beyond just oh we have to get like we have to reach x amount of wins or we have to make whatever higher like if, if the momentum that Chris Peterson built it, you can't, if this gets screwed up, which it is on the way to doing, you know, who knows if they can turn it around, but who, you know, who knows? Um, I mean, you can't fix that overnight by just making a great head coaching hire, you know, it's say in a theoretical world where like Jim, they go, Oh, and 12 and Jimmy like is high fired. You can't fix that damage just by making a great hire overnight in the way that you can if you're USC right now, congratulations for firing Clay Helton five years too late or whatever. Um, So I just think about, when you're thinking of like state of the program or whatever, They if they don't turn it around really, really fast, which involves a level of introspection that I don't know if I trust many coaches or former jocks to make, you know, that's one thing I liked about Chris Peterson is that frankly, I mean, he seemed to have that level of introspection and that's what made him such a good coach. Um, I mean, I don't know. (laughs) I really, I really don't know. And I I wish there was something that I could, could bring quote unquote as an answer, but I just keep looking at it. Like this is a cliff that if it isn't fixed immediately could damage things. I I don't want to say irreparably, but With the way that nationally that momentum is moving away from the West coast, making it an even harder job to do here. You have to get your shit together or else the legacy negatively is going to last a really long time.
0: Yeah. I think when you talk about the program momentum and what it takes to rebuild something like that. And a lot of this goes back to like recruiting and donors and attendance at games and, and, you know, placement yeah. in, in non-conference games or whatever. Uh, a lot of it goes back to, uh, it's, I, I think it's, in, they say in boxing, I've heard, I've heard the saying that it's easier to win a championship than it is to keep it. Yeah, I think the yeah. opposite is true in football, that once you're at the top of the mountain, once, you, you know, like UW won two Pac-12 titles in three years, that's a really strong recruiting pitch and that gets disrupted when Chris Peterson leaves and, and so on and there are a lot of other factors that impact that but it's a lot harder to to go into the houses and the high schools of those kids where they we are right now than it was in 2019 or 2018 and th- i think that's where it becomes you know you you have to start finding ways to work around that immediately. And fortunately, you know, we do have a ton of talent on the roster right now because we have a lot of those guys that were recruited in 2018 and 2019. Mm-hmm. So if there is a version of this that can be reversed and the, the performance can match the talent level, um, it might not be fatal. But I think you're right. It takes pretty drastic action quickly. Um, I don't think we've said the name John Donovan yet on the, the podcast. That is shocking. <laughs> I think we're both I, I mean I I don't know if there's all that much to say like the play yeah, calling has been very poor like and I think we're both people who would uh skew toward there's probably more going into this than we realize and you know what we're seeing is the tip of the iceberg of the offensive strategy and we you know we're we're lay people we don't understand all of the like uh, the, the defensive strategy that's dictating how we Put, call the games. I, I don't think we get anywhere near that level in this discussion. Like, I think yeah, it's yeah. it's bad before you even enter any of that uh level of detail. It's just on its face per se bad. It is. Um,
1: it is one of the worst things I've seen since I remember. I remember when I started to like get interested in football. Like, uh, like just even just like thinking about like football strategy. I was probably like eight or nine or whatever since then i don't think i've seen something and got so actively gone wow that is horseshit like schematically <laughs> it's one thing to watch I totally like agree like most of college football most of college but well, the reason why we all like college football beyond our teams is because it's an absolute cluster i do love a good bleep uh but in, in in like honestly you get these you it's a it's 18 to 22 year old boys most of the product on the field offensively or otherwise is pretty bad but I haven't seen something where it's like this is a grown man creating the shittiest thing I have seen since I was a child and before then um like like obviously in many cases in most sports if you're a coach you can talk to fans or whatever and be like oh well you don't understand what we're trying to do is this and we just couldn't do it because of that and whatever but that is there is zero there's not there's and i don't overuse the word literally like i am a white girl but i don't white girl the word literally Uh i literally (laughs) cannot that that was literally the worst thing i've ever seen in two games from a professional human 40 something year old man and uh it, it it if it weren't my team i would find it entertaining but you can't be like yeah we screwed 7 points and se- 7 and 10 points and be like yeah yeah that's what we we wanted to do something close to that we just couldn't quite no motherfucker
0: well in the first seven we're on the very first drive of scripted plays and it does seem like as bad as all this is like highlighting it, one of the worst parts is the ability to adapt in the game because we're just seeing no uh, action and counteraction. Like there's no sequencing of plays. There's not one thing setting up another thing. There's not like, this isn't working. So let's try that. It's just like, you know, I've banged my head against the wall 12 times and knocked myself out 12 times. But I I think if I do it again, I'm going to break through this wall.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, Yeah. so like the lack of adjustment, the lack of it, it, like, and it's stuff that you figure out. You said like when you're eight or nine years old, like if you're playing Madden or something, you figure out like, oh, this defense is super aggressive. It's I'm not able to run the patterns I want to run. I better try like some play action or I better mm-hmm. try screens. And we we're just weren't even seeing hardly any of that, which is just mind boggling. You, you uh, know
1: what it reminded me of? Sorry to interrupt. It, it was the... Two, well, two things. One, it reminded me of an arrest of development when Tobias and Lindsay try an open marriage. Cause he's he's like, you know, sometimes I advise my patients to try an open marriage. And she's like, Well, does it work for them? And he's like, No, 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 no. Sometimes somehow they delude themselves into thinking it will, but it never does. But it might work for us. It reminded me of that. And then it also reminded me of like, I, I forget what it's from, but they line up in I formation for the 13th time to run it down again, down the a gap. And and then it's like, no, they'll never suspect we'll do it for a 14th time.
0: (laughs) That's why you
1: got it. And it, yeah, it's totally what you said. Like, just, yeah, go on. Sorry. I interrupted you, but continue. Well,
0: I I mean, I guess the, the putting a point on it, I don't think it's enough to just say we need to take a hard look in the mirror and we need to be better in our coaching. Agreed, like, yeah. I, I think we've, we've reached the point, again, you as a pretty patient person with these kinds of decisions, and me probably patient with him to a fault. It, I don't understand how he can, unless, I mean, I, I get they're not firing him two days or three days before this next game, but unless they score like 50 points against Arkansas State, I don't see how you could possibly even allow him to continue calling plays. No, and yeah. ideally just not have a job at all. Yeah. And, and, you know, you say like, well, we don't know if we have anybody on the staff who should really be a lead play caller. I mean, it's not going to be worse. Yeah, it uh, and,
1: almost literally can't get worse.
0: Yeah. Like, like you start like punting on second down. I'm not even sure that would be that much worse. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And, and then it also kind of gives you a little bit of a, a test case as to whether donovan is the whole problem or if there are deeper problems that we need to overhaul the offense like bringing a whole new offensive staff
1: yeah Uh, and if we can test that for
0: (laughs) six to eight games uh, that's better than just getting to the end of the year and saying well it didn't go the way we wanted now we have to fire donovan to figure out if these other five guys are worth keeping around yeah Uh, like i don't want to end up there at the end of the year and prolong this for another year for all the the reasons that you described earlier about like how needing to fail fast and learn from your mistakes and fix them.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, I uh, I completely agree. Um yeah. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. 100%. <laughs> <laughs> I,
0: I think that pretty much I guess the, the one other the one other question about that like state of the program things, how safe would you say Jimmy Lake's job is? Give me if is there a scenario where he's not coaching the team next year? What would that look like?
1: I don't uh, know. I mean, I think if you had asked me that before the season, again, what, what's the day today? I don't care. If you'd asked me that two weeks ago, I would have said, yeah, very safe. You know, he, they have to be what, you know, I don't know. But then after the first two games, it's like, man, you have gone from not super great the first four games and mediocre recruiting, but you know, still relatively comfortable to holy shit. Um, So I, I, based on that momentum, I mean, if you keep on going down that path, then, then you can easily hit the fireball, uh, point by the end of the year with, and with, uh, with room to spare, I might add, but, um, I, yeah, if, if they keep playing like they did, I'd say you can't not, you know, but, um, I, I, I don't, I don't know. That's such a difficult hypothetical that I don't really care to answer it. What do you think? Yeah. I
0: I mean, honestly, I think they'd have to lose nine or more games or maybe eight games. I I think even if he goes five and seven, I, it would just shock me if to, to move on that quickly. Yeah. What I mean, to think about us having this conversation.
1: Year. I know. Just like thinking about you saying that sentence is so depressing.
0: I know. But the other like the question you always have to ask in these situations is like, what's the alternative? And if there's like some backroom conversation between Jen Cohen and UW faculty member, Chris Peterson, where he's looking at this and saying like, this is not what I intended. Uh, that changes things <laughs> come back pretty Pete. drastically. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I was talking to somebody about this offline today. And it was like, you know, I, I don't want Lake to get fired. I want Lake to have a chance to succeed. And I want him to succeed. Same. Yeah. If if Peterson's willing to come back, fire Lake today. <laughs>
1: like it's, yeah. it's a very easy... <laughs>
0: Uh, that changes the calculation completely. If there's no, if there isn't like a really strong indication, if there is a really strong indication that Peterson would be interested in coming back, I, I, Lake could win like eight of the last 10 games and I would be happy to see him go, sadly. But yeah, that's, the, that's a fact. Yeah. Uh, if, if there's not that strong indication, it would be pretty hard for me because I don't know who, like, which like magical turnaround artist is begging for this job right and now. Matt, I, Matt Campbell.
1: You know, I don't but think I we're I, think, I don't think Matt he'll Campbell's go. I think he's kind of Chris Peterson. <laughs> I think, what?
0: I don't think we're in the Matt Campbell sweepstakes. Oh yeah, I think, I, agree. I think he's already moved. If he's going to another college job, I think it's like pick of the litter, like the next top ten program yeah. that opens. No, up. I agree.
1: And I th- I kind of get a Chris Peterson vibe from him. That he he's I I feel like he's going to stay at Iowa State for like quite a while, longer than most people who would just use that as a stepping stone. Like, not you know I. I'm gonna be wrong to have a new job by this time next year, uh, but yeah, no, I totally agree. And also, I want to add also the one thing about um, the one thing about Jimmy, like that makes me so apprehensive about firing him in in a in a like worst case scenario. You know, is he's shown in the past that he can suck shit, learn from that, go you know do whatever, adapt, come back to that position that he previously sucked at and be really, really good. And so I just hate, you know, I mean, we saw that when he was a defensive backs coach for Utah back in what, like 2004 or whatever, which I didn't even know about because it was such an unremarkable tenure. Um, and then, you know, he sucks at that. Everyone gets fired. And then he goes off, does his thing, learns, get really, gets really good and comes back and is like the best defensive backs coach in the country. So I hate the idea of us firing him and then him figuring it out somewhere else.
0: Yeah, I think that pretty much sums it up. So let's take a quick ad break and we will be right back. Thanks for sticking around. We're going to talk a little bit about the rest of the conference. Uh, Notably, we found out recently that Clay Helton is finally fired at USC. It took so much longer than I would have expected. And it's strange that the straw that broke the camel's back was this loss to Stanford after a pretty good week one win against San Jose State. Uh, Here we are. Uh, What's next? Do you think this is what gets USC back to being super dominant team, or are they still – they have a long way to go to get back to that status?
1: I mean, theoretically, they could be a super dominant team yesterday if they make the right hire, uh, which shouldn't be hard if you're USC (laughs) – (laughs) <laughs> but, yeah. but I mean, ever since Pete Carroll, they've been fricking like screwing it up every time. So I, you know, I know that one day USC will be back on top and blah, 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 whatever. But until that day actually comes, I'm just going to sit here and, and enjoy uh, the process of them. You know, at least if UW is going to embarrass ourselves, at least USC will always be there for us until they're not, but them not being there is uh that's not yet happened. So
0: yeah, I, I I don't know who they're going to hire. Some of them have sounded kind of weird, like Bob Stoops. I, I don't really think you want somebody at that stage in his career necessarily if yeah. you're trying to reinvigorate your team. Um, they talked about uh, Eric Bieniemy from the Chiefs, who's never been a college coach. I, I, he seems like he's an offensive genius from everything I've heard, but it, you know, like you have the luxury of being kind of safe uh, and probably getting somebody really good. I, I, Luke Fickle is seems like the betting favorite. Makes tons of sense. Like, yeah. gets back to the old-school USC uh, ground attack, strong blocking, play defense, and he wins a lot. It seems like he knows what he's doing. Uh, yeah. Could do a lot worse than that. Uh, Oregon beat Ohio State. I guess, speaking of Luke Fickle, tangentially. Didn't have much trouble moving the ball. They, they played great. I mean, I, I had questions going into the year. Offensively, really left very little to be desired. They ran the ball extremely well. Ohio State, two weeks in, has not played – well defensively at all against Minnesota or Oregon even with Oregon missing some key pieces defensively Thibodeau's been out sounds like flows out for the year at linebacker but they they looked really good I mean do we kind of I, obviously I think we were saying before the year that Washington and Oregon were kind of one and one a in the north and you could take a coin flip and we were deserved to say that we were very wrong about that but yeah. is no, Oregon gosh. Also, like, in addition to Washington being significantly worse than we expected, are you buying that Oregon is better than we expected, or are they about where you thought?
1: Um, I think they're a little bit better, but the thing is that, like, they looked kind of – they looked like dog shit against Fresno State. So, for them to come around, turn around, and beat Ohio State, I think, A, I think, you know, part of that was just getting the first game jitters out. So, I will give them full credit for that, that probably the Ohio State game is more representative of who Oregon can be than – the Fresno State game um, but I also think it is for what it's worth like is a little bit indicative of Ohio State having some stumbles especially defensively like you said but uh, I, I think they're closer to the ceiling of what they could be what we thought they could be in the offseason than the floor um, I still though have I have minimal confidence in Oregon to Take this win and ride out the rest of the year undefeated. Like, I still think that they're going to, you know, do what they did the last two years and flub, flub at least one, probably a few. And that's not, I'm not saying that because they're Oregon and I hate them, or I'm just saying that because that's what history has looked like. So, you know.
0: Yeah, I mean, this—it's—we're so early in the season. You end up doing things like—is yeah. Ohio State good? Like, is this going to be a like a four-loss Ohio State team? Randomly, like they've looked bad twice. Is this—is Oregon? You know, you have two games, and so you're weighing putting so much into each of those games. I—I uh, I do think they're quite good. I don't know if they're good enough to get to the college football playoff this year uh, yeah. without Anthony Brown kind of being even better than what he's done so far. Honestly, in that game, I was more surprised by. Ohio state finishing with 28 points then with uh, Oregon finishing with 35. Like I thought Ohio state would score in the forties in that game. So yeah, same. You know, credit to Oregon for, for at least forcing them into some uncomfortable positions. Um, there are a couple big swings from week one to week two. I was surprised that Stanford turned it around after looking like an FCS team or worse against Kansas state by, you know, walloping USC, uh, Utah lost to BYU and played pretty poorly after it looked like all signs were pointing to them kind of jumping up in the South and being a real contender for the conference. Colorado almost beat Texas A&M, although that game was hideous. Um, I, yeah. I tried to watch it and it was just like unwatchable for long uh. stretches. Uh, did any of that jump out at you? you think there's any trends there? Mm-hmm. Any, any teams that, that really catching your attention for better or worse?
1: I don't know. I think the, the funny thing with this so far, two games in, and it, you can, it's so easy to overreact to two, to two games, especially at the beginning of the year, because these are 18 to 22-year-old kids who are known for not being necessarily super steady and improving a lot and having, you know, games where they're awesome and games where they're not, whatever. Uh, but this is the first year, I feel like, where I thought I had an understanding of where we, where, like, teams were in this conference, and I have been just where I've just been taken aback by really not, not being like, oh, I don't, under, I don't know what's going on <laughs> at all. <laughs> like, not to toot my own horn, but I called Colorado getting good in 2016, and I called UW getting good, and like obviously everyone did call UW getting good in 2016, but I, I did that December of 2015, and I, no one called Colorado, <laughs> so, so I, I, I. Don't want to toot my own horn, but I I often am right in in general trends, and I I don't I don't even I have no idea what's going on. I mean, and frankly, so many I'm enjoying it.
0: Roster rules all converging at the same time. The the uh transfer eligibility, the red shirt rule, uh like being able to play yeah. a little bit as a redshirt, uh the. Being having the extra year of eligibility, the super seniors and the guys who like aren't true freshmen but are playing as freshmen, it just makes evaluation of like what does continuity look like and what does experience look like and how does it matter. Uh, it it just changes the formula a lot. So if you spend a lot of time evaluating what it means to have a bunch of freshmen playing and sophomores playing versus what it means to have like returning starters. Those things don't mean the same thing right now that they used to. And I think it makes the evaluation really difficult, but it also makes the games really interesting because it it's way less predictable. Yeah, uh, you it's know, very
1: chaotic. Yeah, very chaotic. I think the season's going to go party. that way. Like yeah. we
0: may end up with two teams that aren't Alabama, USC, Oklahoma, and Ohio State. Uh, or Alabama, Clemson, USC whatever
1: we know, Oklahoma, Ohio State, Clemson,
0: Alabama, there might, two of them might not make the tournament this year. Yeah. Um, all right, let's, let's stop talking about football. Let's do our recommendations and plugs. Uh, anything, uh, non-football related catching your eye this week or, uh, kind of bailing you out of the Husky doldrums.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, well, so I, um, I finally started watching Ted Lasso. So it is football related. Um, just the other football, and it really it's like if it's like if this year, the last nine or 10 days of UW football, it's like if there was the opposite of that, it's uh, it's this show. Um, so if you just want something that, like, makes you feel feelings, but is good hearted, even when you're uh, even when it makes you even when it makes you cry, which you will, unless you're a soulless robot. Um, which is saying, you know, saying something coming from me, because I am. Um, yeah, well, you should watch that. It'll, it'll it'll make you feel mostly positive feelings. It's, uh, it's
0: a very strong endorsement. It's
1: the antithesis of Husky football right now.
0: I don't think this will cheer anybody up or make them feel better, but uh, we're recording on Tuesday night and learned earlier today that Norm McDonald died. Oh, I probably yeah, mentioned sucks. before that he's, Norm Macdonald and Mitch Hedberg are my two favorite stand-up comedians um, Mm -hmm. and had a very formative impact on what I think is funny Mm -hmm. and I I got that somebody sent this to me in a text and then I got like 12 more of them in the middle of a meeting and I was like a a one-on-one meeting today and I was just totally zoned out the rest of the meeting and you know died of cancer with nobody knew he had cancer which is very on brand for him, but yeah. Uh, if I mean, I was just trying to come up with, you know, the the upshot of this is revisiting a lot of the the best things that he did. If anybody, everybody knows who Norm Macdonald is, but uh, if you know you want to like revisit a few things, the very best highlights. Uh, his book that he wrote a couple of years ago called "Based on a True Story" is one of the most creative, bizarre memoirs I've ever read, uh, and hilarious. Uh, the the Bob Saget roast mm. is you know, like a perfect roast set, uh, the movie dirty work, like the one time somebody gave him money to make a movie and it's hilarious. The, if you have like two minutes instead of, you know, an hour or yeah. two, uh, the, if you just Google moth joke, uh, on Conan O'Brien where he, he tells the, uh, moth walks into a podiatrist office joke, but turns it into a, uh, like a Russian novel, uh, <laughs> loved his podcast. The episode he did with super Dave now both dead awfully, is one of the funniest ones ever god it's so good i think it's still available on youtube you can just listen to it there i talk about this for like hours i saw yeah i saw him live three times and i think two of them are the two things that have made me laugh harder and like more deeply and uncontrollably than anything not just any other stand-up show but anything else i've ever seen uh just brilliant and very sad that he's dead but glad that he produced the work that he did
1: don't cry, cause it's over. Smile, cause it
0: happens. Yeah. I can't say yeah. that without. I hate to see you, you to go, Norm, but I love watching you leave.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, actually, <laughs> now that I'm thinking about that, though, yeah. A. Norm Macdonald, R.I.P. To the max, a genius. Um, but also, speaking of comedians, middle-aged comedians who had cancer, who people didn't know have cancer, and then just dying. Um, if you want, so if if yeah, if you don't want to watch a half-hour show, but do want something that makes you happy. A, look up Norm Macdonald's stuff, like the moth joke, and better than Ezra. Um, uh, <laughs> Ezra. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and in second is Ezra. Um, and then also uh, Sean Locke, the British comedian, died like two weeks ago, three weeks ago, also of cancer. Also, like he had had cancer in the past, but people did you know, for the most part, didn't know he had it right now. Um, if you just look up like on YouTube, like best of Sean Locke, cats does countdown or whatever he, he he and norma he is kind of on this he, he's not the same type of thing as Norm McDonald at all but as far as those people where you like watch them do their thing and you're like oh you might be a genius like you're you're just operating on a plane that's way above totally anything one of a kind.
0: like just yeah in their own categories yeah
1: both of those two guys been a rough like...
0: summer for comedians is like the the guy from the whitest kids you know died yeah And like a couple weeks ago, all those comedians OD on fentanyl in LA. Yeah, that sucked. Be safe out there.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Oh, God. When I lived in Vancouver, fuck, that was like fentanyl central. Um, But I don't (laughs) do cocaine. So, anywho. (laughs) Well,
0: it's a great place to to
1: end it. Don't do cocaine, please. Or, like, do. It's your life.
0: Yeah. But But don't if you have an addictive personality
1: like I do. but you know it's your life you know who am i to do it okay but okay anyways let's fade out
0: we somehow started with uh discussing the uh huskies play calling and really brought it down from there emotionally it's like uh, yeah to we're like that was the 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 cathartic high point of the evening and yeah down to something even worse
1: (laughs) it starts out with john donovan's play calling and it gets more depressing (laughs)
0: uh so stick around or come back next week we'll maybe get cody pickett to bail us all out maybe. maybe we'll finally get to talk about a win and we'll have him here uh breaking down all this offensive innovation yeah. it'll be great we're getting bring in cody
1: pickett to be the offensive coordinator how come oh. we never brought this up yeah
0: this is the dots are connecting themselves would do it. yeah the, well he now we've got our, our our topics for next week already excited right. so thanks for listening and go dogs
1: go dogs very much Oh, that can be my new sign off, Go Dogs very much. (laughs) I like that. Okay.